Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on. And the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana, and you're listening to the Mall Over Codpost. Hello and welcome to this week's More Over Podcast, the only other podcast gives you news, news and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter, we are at More Over Podcast, More Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook, and you can find all of our podcasts on the Sports Podcast Network. Uh, I'm joined this week by Ben and Doug. How you doing, gents? Now then. Good, thanks, mate. Good, good. We can also welcome a very special guest, uh, Professor Eric Anderson, who's a professor of sports psychology and sociology at the University of Winchester. Uh, welcome to the More Over podcast, Eric. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Um, so before before we start, why don't you um, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and, and your kind of involvement in and around rugby, and then we'll uh, we'll move on from there. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. And let, let me begin by saying that, you know, you guys are rugby fans, you have a rugby podcast, and you've had the decency to invite me in. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's first rate. I absolutely appreciate that. It's not an easy message that I bring. Uh, the fact that you guys are willing to engage with that uh, says, you know, speaks volumes about you. But yes, my name is Eric, and I'm a professor of uh, sports, masculinities, uh, health and well-being at the University of Winchester. I have multiple research focus, but over the past 12 or 15 years, I've been hot on examining this cultural phenomena of realizing that uh, multiple sports uh, have multiple aspects of brain trauma to them and seeing the culture become aware of that and, you know, trying to promote a safer, more inclusive version of sport for children. So I'm a sports psychologist and a sports sociologist. But the position I take is that sports reflect a time that they come from, that they're developed and become popular in a particular cultural zeitgeist. And as the culture changes, the sport will have to change. And if the sport doesn't change, it'll be viewed as, it'll be viewed as a sort of archaic relic of the past. 
And so my argument principally is this. Children should not be playing tackle rugby, full stop. And they should be playing tag rugby instead. And rugby has a problem on its hand. But that problem is rugby's problem. We should privilege children's brains before we privilege the sport. So that's kind of my basic message. Okay. Um, so, I mean, that's that's an interesting interesting sort of an angle on on it to start off with. Um, you mentioned, and something you said right at the sort of very start of our, our conversation, and I think it, it was pertinent to add it in here whilst we kick off the conversation, is that potentially you can categorise as children playing rugby as, as a form of child abuse. Can you tell me a little bit yeah. more about that? I'll be happy to tell you if your internet promises not to pause on me. I'll, I'll try. <laughs> These guys will stay here. So I think it just pauses. It's the idea of pairing the word child abuse with a child's game. Rugby uh, is emotive. I get that. Um, but the question I ask is why do we not allow children to smoke, to drink, to vote, to drop out of school, take a job, join the military, engage in sex, and all sorts of other things until the age of 16 or mostly until the age of 18. And the answer in all of those cases is that those are considered to be dangerous or harmful events and that children don't have the cognitive capacities to make informed decisions about whether they drop out of those or not. In the case of rugby, tackle rugby here, you have a, a sport that structures into the sport violence against the brain. You have collision between the brain and another body. And so it's, it's not an accident. It's a structure. It's part of the game. And so the question is, is if we try to protect children from all of these other capacities, if we say that it's inappropriate for a parent to hit a child, if we say that uh, a nanny shouldn't shake a child, if we say that we shouldn't give child, you know, children recreational drugs or so forth, why are we also not protecting their brains when we can very simply say, hey, play tag instead? So that's, that's the locus of the argument there is there is demonstrable brain trauma. Nobody will argue that. Nobody will argue that. In fact, some recent research just shows that the worst age to suffer concussion is 10. So you know, nobody's going to argue that it's not bad for children's brains. The question is, why are we still doing it? when we can play tag instead. So it's, so I mean, the first, sorry, the, Russ, you go, Russ, you go. I mean, the first point I'll make there is that kids don't start tackling until at least 10 or 11, and then they're taught correct technique. Which... So let's break that. Let's break that down in two fronts. Well, can, can um, I just finish what I was saying? Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I saw, I thought you were done. I apologize. <laughs> sorry, I Never let me cut you off. I, no. I intend to be um, polite. Yeah. It's all right. Um, I, at that age, if you're instructed to tackle correctly, you should have correct form going forward. But also the impacts. Now, I don't know how much kids rugby you've you've gone and watched. Now, I work in rugby television. So quite often before a, a professional rugby match, you have kids rugby on the same field as the, as the professionals are going to play. And they'll be playing there either um, touch, tag or in some cases, if the age range allows it tackle. Now, the impacts and forces that 10-year-old kids put through each other, the, 
the the amount of concussions that would be sustained, I would argue, are probably less than kids get just in day to day life. They they stand one to two yards away from each other and they basically cuddle each other until they can't stop move until they stop moving and then they knock the ball on and a coach tells them to start again. I don't know where these figures are of all the like I where are the figures that are showing how many children are being concussed at 11 by playing rugby? Okay, we've, we've, we've got two kids coach. We've got Russ is a coach for a, a junior team at the moment. Russ, how many concussions has your team had this well, year? Well, Sam's team. So my, my coach, I, we're only under eight. So we're still very much in, in tag. Um, Phil, who is not here tonight, unfortunately, and would be a better a person to sort of have a, this discussion. He coaches under tens, and he's got a he's got a child in the under tens, but he's also got a child in the under fourteens. So both now playing who who are eligible will are playing contact rugby. Um, and I think you know just to add just to add to Doug's point is more around. So we we talk about safety, we talk about um, concussions, and Doug's made a very valid point around the actual. Uh, level of physicality at that age group rugby what seems to be forgotten in all this is how many millions or hundreds of thousands of people play play rugby how many people engage in it worldwide when the numbers of people suffering injuries brain injuries is akin to the the number of children suffering broken ankles or broken wrists or broken fingers as an inherent risk of, of doing of doing anything like skateboarding or or whatever. So whilst I understand the importance of, of brain injury awareness and concussion awareness and all of that sort of stuff, rugby as a as a product, as a as a sport, has made significant strides over the last 15 to 20 years in awareness of that. And as adults, and talking about children in rugby specifically, as adults, we we are able to see, um, not diagnose, but but see when children are uh, have had a knock to the head because we're always we're always watching, especially if it's your child, and can make the decision to pull them out accordingly. So it's not relying on the child to make that decision. So sorry, Eric, I know you wanted to come back in on, on yeah, there's just way, way way back. Yeah, there's there's. There's way too much to unpack and way too much, you know, uh, let, let's go back, um, to say, you know, how, how sad it is to hear you say that, you know, well, they don't start tackling until they're 10. Well, they're just 10. They're only 10. What what age would you consider is appropriate for someone to start tackle rugby? So let's talk about the question for that is what age can a child make informed consent? And so, you know, this country, we have two demarcations, one at 16 and one at 18. For me, I go for 18 and I go for 18 because it's a structured event. It's not something that children are, are uh, choosing independent of, of an organization. It's, it's something where they're also, you know, following the coach's orders. So I go for 18. So, let's, so let's you can up. legally join the military at 16. So we, you can't we fight saying... until you're 18. No, but you can join the military. There were but many you, people that I joined up with. And I, and I have no problems with children joining tag rugby at 16 either, but you can't fight till you're 18. Right. So, but, and you can't drink or smoke. Okay, so a, a, 
a person's first ever introduction to tackle rugby will be at 18 when they could be what was I 18? That's, that's I was, correct. I was, I was five. Doug, foot... but let, let me go back because you, you've you loaded, you've said a lot of things, but you've not allowed me to address them. Okay. Okay. So yeah. so let's begin to say uh, the age of 10 is the worst age for a child to have concussion. The brain is going through rapid growth period. Having a concussion inhibits that severely. Number two, you guys seem to be focused on concussion alone and you're taking out repetitive head trauma. So we now know that if you look at NFL players and NFL players, of course, is similar to rugby, but with off with offense and defense and actually 12 minutes of play in an hour's game, uh, they're taking less hits than in rugby. We know that for every 2.8 years of play, they at two after 2.8 years of play as children, they double their chances of dementia. And then it goes up exponentially from them. So it gets to a thousand percent increase in dementia by the time you get to nine years. So the question is, why do we feel the need to repetitively bash children's brains in small amounts to lead to chronic traumatic encephalopathy, dementia, and other neurological disorders? Why are we doing this? This isn't just about concussion. This is also about the repetitive impacts that these children take. And so... Then we're backed up by you saying, well, wait a minute, you know, but, you know, they're not as big, they're not as solid. No, they're not. But they also don't have the same musculature to absorb an impact as well. So a 70, 75, 80 G hit is very normal for children. And by the time you get to the age of 14, those hits are routine. Sorry, sorry. Can you back that up? That children routinely take 70 G, 70 times G force hits. So, Doug, one of the problems we have with the concept of concussion, now take out repetitive concussions. I'm sorry, take out repetitive head trauma. How do you back that up? How do you back that figure up? Yep, so studies of American high school football players, where you can put the accelerometers in the heads. That's exactly right. That's exactly it. We don't don't really know. Oh, these multiple studies show this. But let me tell you this. What we don't know is... What size was the study? Like, how? what was the, the... because I, I can't for me. Yeah, I'm, you know. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend I remember the end right now. I'm not, you know, I can't right. do that. I mean, there's so many studies that I, I, I don't have all of the details memorized on all of them. But what I want you to understand is that we don't know where concussion begins. Nobody can say people say, well, it's probably around 70, but we don't know. And that's because concussion is a multivariate problem. Sometimes people get concussed and they show no symptoms for days. Sometimes they don't show symptoms. Other times they show symptoms immediately. So it's a very difficult situation to be able to recognize the signs of concussion in the first place. So when I hear you say, well, that if a kid gets a knock on the head, I say, we need to stop calling them knock on the head and we need to start calling them concussion or traumatic brain injury. And it's very difficult to recognize those, uh, those injuries to remove them in the first place. So the question really becomes, with all of this knowledge, why are we privileging the sport and not taking a more proactive desire to prevent children from having this issue in the first place? In other words, what counts more, the kids' brains or the sport? Ben, do you want to jump in? Yeah, um, mine's a bit more of a sort of anecdotal kind of point, really, um, in that um, you mentioned about um, sort of smoking and drinking at that age. 
Um, but there's, 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 especially with sort of drinking, there's a school, school of thought that sort of children are almost better off being supervised if they're going to do something like that rather than um, go off and do it on their own. And I wonder if, it, if with sort of young children, there's a, there's a lot of children, certainly ones that I've known through my life, that are desperate to do something like rugby. They're desperate to, you know, have a game like that. And I wonder, you know, what kind of trouble would they be getting in, getting themselves in if they were inventing their own games and, you know, well, being left not, to their own that, devices? Well, and the issue here is that's very much so akin to saying my children would very much so like to drive a car. And we have a structured thing called driving, but we don't allow children to do it. What would children do if left? What, what would children do if left to their own devices? Uh, you know, I guess that depends on the child. But the point is, rugby is a game that is organized, structured, and run by adults. It's a game with a history behind it and rules and organizations. And those adults should principally be concerned that the children don't acquire a brain injury that's going to later hinder them in life. And touch rugby is a perfectly viable solution for the problem. And I and I and I get I, I get that point of perspective and I get that point of view. Where I would where I where I would argue it is just go back to the millions of people that have grown up playing rugby, the the millions of people that have played child rugby and tackle. I mean, I grew up before tag rugby was pretty much even a thing, and we were just legging it into each other at seven years old. Um you know, and I get that times have changed and I get that things are being made safer. But to me, there sounds like nothing worse than if you're allowed to play your first tackle rugby match at 18 and you've and you're, you know, you're a fully grown, strong adult and you've got another fully grown, grown strong adult running at you when you've got no awareness potentially of, of technique and and. And to be fair, I've seen it in action and Ben will back me up. We had a, we had a, a Nuki Hornets match. Um, was it Ashley Underhill? Ben? Oh yeah. Yeah. Right? So a guy, a guy who turned up, he'd never played rugby in his life. Right. So we put him on the wing and he just charged at people head first. Now, yeah, well, he, now, he hadn't got as far as the tackling part in the, um, in the, in the manual. Before, Eddie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, so, and, th- and that's on the wing. Um, Eric, right? So, and uh, you could argue he, you could then argue he is responsible for his own decisions. He is responsible for his own conduct. He doesn't know what he's doing, setting foot on a rugby pitch because he's never played the game. He's never trained like for, for years to understand the nuances of head placement in a tackle and all of that sort of stuff. But yet he's on a rugby pitch with other fully grown, strong people. I would argue it more risk than had he had grown up learning at least how to do it properly to reduce that risk. Thank you, Russ. But there are, there are two faults with that argument. The first is all of the other kids would be in the same boat. All of the other 18 year olds would be in the same boat. So, so now when, it's, it's, okay. So when do you implement upon, that? Hang on, let me finish. So it's, incumbent upon, it. it's incumbent upon the sport to make sure that as they're training the few who play as 18-year-olds compared to who played as children, because there's a huge dropout rate in all sports, not just in rugby. So it's incumbent upon the sport to make sure that those, when they turn 18 or 16, whatever the age is for tackling, that they train them appropriately with, you know, uh, 
you know, with time to train them to get into the game and do it properly, that you don't, and that, that would be absolutely an abuse of coaching power to take an athlete who just turns 18, knows nothing about how to tackle in person, and throws them out with a, with a third-year-old so, who's been tackling. So, so that's, that's, a, that's, that's the sport to mitigate. They play touch rugby to 17, and then at 18, they're allowed to tackle. But we then have to go back X number of years and say, right, well, you're not allowed to actually play rugby between the ages of 18 and insert arbitrary age here because you're not safe enough on the pitch. So See, really, a- the first time you can play a tackle game of rugby will probably be 21, 22, right? But see, what I hear you doing is privileging the sport and not children's brains. And I get but what that I hear you, you doing sport. is canceling a sport. Yes. Because and yes, look, I don't correct. know what your angle is. I don't know why. That's you, correct. I don't know what your like. Have you had some kind of personal? Um, no, don't let's don't don't turn it personal. This is this is strictly about trying to protect children's brains. Right. I, I understand. You, that's you, what you're no, 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 you, no. you can't deny that this is. You know, this is on our cultural appetite, what, isn't it? What, it's everywhere in the media. Yeah, what is your personal, like, this is, like, for me. You're, you're trying to what, discredit the messenger. I'm a professor of sport. I'm talking about the data. Let's leave it at that. Because you're trying to discredit the messenger. I'm not trying to discredit the messenger. I'm trying to understand. Then why do you care what my personal views on the sport are? Because this is, like, there is a disconnect between what you want to happen and a sport being allowed to happen so you're essentially your your views essentially mean that rugby as it is today cannot continue because if we can't play tackle rugby until 18 but then you're saying it's incumbent on the sport to train the people participating in that sport to be safe and if they don't they are negligent we are basically saying there is no tackle rugby until 18, but then you've got to be trained to play tackle rugby before you can play it. That then excludes a vast number of people who would have played a sport quite quite happily, would have played it in an environment which, from all of our personal experience, enhances you as a person as as a member of society gives you skills and really valuable experiences that can't just be obtained if all you're doing is protecting yourself from any kind of injury you're you're what you like you're saying why are we privileging the sport because the sport enhances society that that's that's a fact Doug, that's that's not a fact that are you saying that there's something unique and better about children playing rugby than tag rugby in terms of team development, social cohesion, community development, and all of the things that you're, you're trying to praise. Are you saying like being part that of there's something club. about, hang on. Are you saying there's something about the tackle that makes tackle rugby better than tag rugby in terms of community? Yes, because let me tell you, if you outlaw the tackle until the age of 19, 18, 20, whatever, if you outlaw it, there won't be rugby because people won't play it. Well, just if, have you looked at the stats of the percentage of people playing rugby? Do you well, see what's so, happening to your sport? So, so yes, yeah, and then no, yeah, I was going to come direct, on to this. Sorry, Doug. For, 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 no, Russ, wait. There, there is, for me, there's a direct correlation between the 
over-regulation and the scare tactics and the fear that is engendered by people who share your point of view that is turning people away if it like i've sat here listening to some of some of your 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 points thinking this is like i I felt like i've been reading a copy of of the daily mail it's just absolute fear-mongering like if you let, allow your child at 11 to play rugby, he's going to be, he's going to have dementia by the time he's 15. It's like, what are we talking about here? I, I just think there's a, a, a nobody said, nobody disconnect says, between. Nobody your, said that your child's going to have dementia by the age of 15. No, but you've said that there's the, a thousand percent increase for every. In dementia. Uh, it, it, to me, that what the studies and what everything around the project behind taking tackle rugby away fails to take into account is the fact that people actually, there are actually tangible benefits to a sport. And it's, if all you look at is the potential pain, you you don't do anything. You don't do anything. I'm asking you to name those. What are the tangible benefits for children for playing playing tackle rugby. rugby? as opposed to tag rugby that go beyond learning to tackle, right? You talk about community involvement, health, fitness, all of that. What are the unique benefits from tackle rugby that tag does not offer? Cause I'm a huge advocate of tag rugby. Well, why didn't, why, so why can't you just go and play tag rugby and leave us to play tackle rugby? <laughs> that's well, my, that's my biggest point. But I would say the, ab, what, what uh, and, the and Doug, I am, could... I am. I'm not making any claims about what 18 year olds should or could not be able to do i'm simply talking about children who do not have the cognitive capacity to understand the weight of evidence and to make informed decisions and i'm also and part of what we haven't got into yet is our research on secondary schools showing the levels of compulsory rugby in schools pe that children must engage in despite their desire not to and that's yeah. two-thirds I, and that, I, you know, that's horrific i, I was going to say something about about that eric like when i've when i've read a few articles sort of in just in the papers like obviously i've not i've not read any of the like academic articles or anything like that and i think like the the point that you're probably going to make about compulsory rugby is that um or probably not that you're going to make but I, i think it's it's probably fair enough that if kids don't don't really want to play then absolutely let let them play touch rugby or 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 what, whatever sport really that, that's going to be offered in as an alternative, but I do think there are um, kids who are going to be desperate to, to play with full contact as well. Um, but I, I was going to say I think there is something about the tackle in rugby um, that that sort of adds to the sort of um, continuity of teams. I think it's 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 quite difficult to quantify without sort of getting into sort of slightly dodgy metaphors and stuff but it, it's like yeah. um you know it's yeah, like, i know you love the sport i get yeah that. i know I, it you feel you you know you're endeared to it i get that my fear is is it possible that your love of the sport is preventing you from seeing some of the damage that the sport can be doing to children i think i don't i don't think that's the case i think we we all can appreciate the inherent risks of playing rugby having played rugby all, all of our lives as, as children and now, and, and now adults and, and as 
Doug mentioned, you know, my my child's in the under eights and he will progress and, and go through if if that's what he wants to do. Um, but there are plenty of other things out there for, for children. And I think that, you know, if tag rugby is an option, great. If they want to go and play tag rugby, great. That reduces risk. If parents want them to do that, fantastic. But I think that, you know, we talk about participation levels. Rugby is on the decline for, for many, many reasons as far as participation goes. And one of them being, to Doug's point, is around parents who who may feel scaremongered by, by science. Now I'm not discrediting any of, of what has been. Yeah. I was going to say, is that scaremongering or is that common sense? No, no, no. So I don't think it's common sense when you think about the, the numbers involved. I think we've got a very small sample size of, of any serious um, trauma and multiple, um, brain trauma or concussion or whatever way we're going to frame it and and multiple collisions when actually there have been tens of millions worldwide since rugby was invented that have played the sport that have had no ill effects whatsoever. And I think we are focusing so heavily on the risk, which has impacted the few, the same as the risk of driving a car, which is, which we all do, but there's a risk that somebody could go and drive into us on the motorway tomorrow. And that that's not our fault. That's not our choice, but we chose to get in the car. Well, no, but that's, a, that's not, that's, that's what you call an accident. Yeah. It's not a yeah, structure. But, but yeah, we don't, no, no, we don't no. intentionally aim our cars towards other cars, but you no, do but your body. Some, in the some, sport people, some people do. But, well, but my, that's called that's called criminal. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. There's some form of criminality yeah, 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 there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> could, could I ask just a question uh, of Eric? If you had a magic wand, what would be your sort of outcome? What would you, what would you sort of set in place for I, for rugby? I am absolutely happy for adults to choose to make informed decisions. If the rugby football union and other rugby and other bodies are informing the players of the research what the research shows, what the risks are, then I'm absolutely happy. Believe I don't me, see the rugby football. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but that's not happening. That's not happening now. And that's obviously one of the basis for this current lawsuit with all these former players suing. The second thing sorry. is... Mm. Sorry. Sorry, go on. But, go on. And that's their argument. That's their argument is they were not properly informed, that the research was out there and they were not properly informed. So, is that is that have, is that their problem or is it the RFU's problem? You've they're they, adults. They were adults, yeah. Steve Thompson. So Steve, sorry to interrupt. Steve Thompson, who's been very vocal about this, was advised to retire several times and came out of retirement and played again, whilst knowing the risk. Yeah, I'm, I'm not arguing there. What I'm saying is, as long as they're properly informed, okay. so we all. I think we probably all four agree on that. That if you're gonna engage in the sport of rugby you should be properly informed as to what the research says. Agreed? Uh, okay. I'm not, it's not, I don't think. But the, but the uh, research, yeah. the, the, the research is only focused on one thing. What do you mean? Well, there's, there's no, there's no papers out there publishing what the benefits are to playing rugby. Well, compared to other what? I mean. Compared to anything. I mean, why, why go up? Why rugby? Why not MMA? Why not jujitsu? Why not boxing? Why not horse riding? Why not? 
any numbers. Well, it's funny you say motorcycle that. Races. <laughs> and, and I, I did want to ask about like it's funny you say I work that. and have watched two people die in the last year. Why not that? Yeah. So uh, if you're asking me personally, yep, yeah, one of my PhD students is currently studying MMA and other fight sports for concussion. He's got 13 national and world championships behind his belt, so he's got some power in that field. Another one's just finished his PhD on concussions and cycling. I've got another one doing uh, variants between PTSD and CTE. So you get the idea that. You know, so we're going to uh, start. Are we going to start hearing about how we need to ban children from cycling until the age of eighteen? Are we going to hear? Are we going to hear um, how I, I've heard about we need to ban headering in football? However, that's going to work. That, that's already been banned. That that was four years ago. Yep. What I don't but understand. You didn't know that. <laughs> I, I know that headering has been banned in, in children's football, but at what age does it suddenly become all right to start headering footballs? They they have a very slow progression of integration uh, from the age of thirteen. You know what? You know what I find funny about about especially the headering debate in football is. By the way, I love the way you say headering. <laughs> well, Je- Sorry, so, it's just cute. It's just cute. Yeah. I like so it. Jeff, Jeff Astle. <laughs> so Jeff, like Jeff Astle, was one of the big. You know, he died of of dementia and he played yes, football in a time. He died. He died in a time following a time where he played football, where they were ba- they were basically headering breeze blocks. Because the balls were that poorly, well, the balls were that poorly made. They were, uh, as soon as they mate, got wet, yeah, but they they were they were so heavy because they would absorb the water. Now nowadays, the balls are are quite literally as light as air. So it's 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 different, you know. And and this is what I don't get. Where, so uh, you're where, one where, of your guys. Sorry, has uh, thoroughly discredited that argument, uh, Professor Willie Stewart. And, you know, he's somebody who last for 10 years ago, I was saying, come on, Willie, join the light side of the force. And he's slowly getting there. He's the one who did that research, but he has thoroughly discredited that argument. Of course, remember that a heavier ball will get up in the air less. Today, sometimes football just looks like volleyball. Uh, that's, that's true. But again, since since the the progressions in technology, since the progressions in equipment, since progressions, all that stuff, like the... Uh, wait, 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 Russ, wait. so... The balls in the 50s would be in the air less, so they'd be headering it less. But the reason the dementia cases and the research has come about is because people from that era were getting were getting dementia and and no, what Willie Stewart has done is he's taken he's taken uh god, I forgot what his end is, but it's it's quite large. Um and uh god, it's it's I mean it's so his argument is that um you know the vast majority of children who play football, play so at a younger age. And then there's a, you know, there's a dropout as children age. And so if you, if you make uh, heading at 13, then, you know, you've sort of, you have a lot fewer children to begin with and then they're graded into it. So it's a slow introduction to it. So you could conceivably, you know, do the same thing in rugby. Now, you, you know, you've asked me what my opinion is. And my opinion was 18 but you could certainly create a graded system that would be a lot safer than it is now and have children play tag up until 13 and then 13 to 14, a limited amount of tackling and that sort of thing. And then by the time they're 18, uh, you know, to do the full thing. But right now there are no rules protecting children from tackle whatsoever at any age. So, so and the, they are the, tackling are, in PE and they are tackling in. There are. Yeah. So there are, there are because they don't. My tackle. kids have been tackling since eight in their school. Uh, in school, okay. Yes, in school. So that's that's interesting because in in club level rugby, 
the first time that they have any introduction to tackling is it is it well so yes eight yeah. under nines that's right so yeah don't, under, I, and under nine let me clarify my children don't play the tackle version they play tag at school but their friends whose parents elect for them to play tackle have done it since eight yeah yeah so so under nines and that is a very yeah. basic introduction to tackling and where you know having having watched it um and f- keenly because i'll be coaching it next year um you know it, it is a very very slow graded process and then obviously as they move up the age groups certain elements are are added um but even in tag rugby and having watched again and coached and refereed tag rugby, the amount of bumping incidents where children just run into each other because they've got little to no coordination. They, they, they're still, they're still banging into each other in, in tag rugby. Yeah, of course. I'm not asking to put kids in, you know, giant bubble balls. Although that would be fun. Ironically, that would make it worse. Well, if you don't do it, Sky will. Yeah. That actually, <laughs> hilariously, if you ever watch that on YouTube, uh, it's it's a far worse concussion. They run at each other in the whiplash effect and they fly across the room. But you get the idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I know that, you know, my, my children have been hit in the head by basketballs and footballs. And, you know, that this is part of childhood and this is this is part of life and you can't mitigate all danger. The question I have is, should we be structuring it into the sport? when there's a perfectly viable opportunity to structure it out and just play tag instead. Ben? But, but my, my big question that I wanted to raise on this podcast, and it's on a slight, slightly different subject, but, but very much related, is at the moment in rugby, they're sort of making incremental changes to the laws as they go along, you know, you know different tackle rules and, and the video replay coming in a lot more. Um, and my argument is if they really wanted to reduce the concussions, then the best way to do that rather than sort of tinkering and, and, and making it almost unwatchable would be just to play less games. And, and does the research back that up or is that just me being oversimplistic? Well, no, you're not wrong. And this is a way that the NFL has approached it. You know, the NFL's had serious lawsuits and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they keep introducing new weeks, more games. Yeah. Yes, of course. You're right. You're not wrong. Um, <laughs> but at the, at the youth level, for example, in California, the state I originally come from, uh, the government has passed very serious legislation to uh, limit the amount of uh, tackling that they can do in a week. And so it's not just the amount of games that they play. It's it's about how much they tackle in practice. And it's just, this is the same in everything, right? It's the same in fight sports. You know, the brain trauma is caused before they get into the ring you know, from all of the sparring matches. So it's about reducing the collective load that they take. And so, yes, absolutely. If you reduce the amount of tackling that children could take, uh, you would make a big difference. Absolutely. It's not just the game. So reducing the, the, the for, for children, I know, Ben, you were, you were talking there wider specifically in, in more of yeah. the program, but for children specifically, tackling, making or attempting, let's say, five to ten tackles per player in a half an hour match. Yeah, I'm not, um, I'm not sure how you can do that. Once, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that you limit it. All I'm saying is I'm trying to average it. So in a match, a child may make between five and ten tackles in a, th- in a thirty minute match once a week, which is what which is what they do at, at club level. So if we if we take out schools and all and all that sort of stuff for, for a minute, from nine years old or eight years old, they are playing training once a week, 
and playing once a week. So they might make somewhere between five and 10 tackles a week where there is potentially a risk for a, uh, a brain injury or a concussion or a repeated trauma or whatever it is we're calling it. Yeah. So, but, but so five to 10 once, once a week is, is that, is that too much risk? I mean, what is too much risk? Is any risk too much risk? Well, of course, not everybody's going to have a different view on this, right? So you yeah, now because, we're really, into, we're view, really into philosophy now. Your, your, say your view is, yeah. is zero. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, and some some would be more, it, some would be less, some would be infinite. It really depends on, you know, if you're asking the pragmatic side, that's a different story. If you're asking the wish, of ma- you know, magic wand wish, that's a different story. Okay. So it becomes complicated because it's, uh, you know, the RFU isn't exactly looking to change their structures. So we're, you know, we're fighting that culture. Uh, so while, you know, in football, you know, is 13 too late for me, too early for me? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a progress. It's change. And so that's a more of a philosophical question, but anything we can do to decrease the amount of times that the brain comes to a sudden impact or a sudden acceleration, then I'm going to be a happy chappy. Okay. I mean, and I hit the, you up with one piece of research that is not just about, um, it's yeah. not just about rugby. So let's, you know, take the, take the eye off rugby just for a moment. One of the things that really bothers me is when, when we hear these described as knocks to the head instead of traumatic brain injuries. And so I just want to highlight a piece of research. And on this one, I've got the N memorized for you. And this is a bizarre number, but it's such an important piece of research. So um, in Sweden, they looked at matched twins. And they took 104,290 who had had a, tra- a traumatic brain injury, a concussion. And they looked at their life outcome compared to their twin who didn't have a brain injury. And on all measures, they found significantly decreased quality of life. They found uh, higher rates of disability pension, so disability, uh, psychiatric inpatient admissions, um, uh, GP visits, uh, premature mortality, low educational achievement or lower educational achievement. Um, criminality, receipts of states for welfare payments, things of that nature. So on all of these measures, uh, one serious event caused lifelong issues. And I um, think we need to look at that quite seriously across the board, that, not just that, in rugby. Isn't that very, very presumptuous to assume that one concussion caused that amount of upheaval in in a, gr- a, a group of people's life like that that, well, twins, that the only thing that bad that ever happened to those people was that they got injured in the head uh doug they're matched twins yeah, they're matched twins, are con- but but like that doesn't mean why, why that do you have did, a hard time believing but that the, but the fact that they're matched twins doesn't mean that they did the same thing every day. Just because their parents bought them the same T-shirt from Tesco's doesn't mean that they did the same thing every day. What if one of the twins was just an arsehole? <laughs> well, there's 104,000 <laughs> of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then, um, but, but if you took 104,000 individual people or 104,000 swallows that migrate from Africa and assume that just because they're swallows, they're going to follow the same exact path. 
there's no that all that assumes is that there's no other variance apart from this one this one issue well they didn't come out doing better did they <laughs> and it wasn't you know i mean you're so if you can name the other sorry so just run the number so it's 104,290 sets, sets of, of twins. twins uh yeah well individuals with brain trauma and then therefore they had a set a uh, twin yeah so, so 50,000 uh, sets of twins. No, no, 104,000. 208,000 people. Yeah. Right, so 104,000. And what was the percentage of people that had a significantly lower quality of life? So there, there are various percentages on each of these. But overall, receipt of disability for pension, psychiatric inpatient admissions, outpatient visits to the GP, premature mortality, which means death, and lower educational achievement, as well as increased reliance on state welfare. And, and so what, so just, just for argument's sake, lower life expectancy, what was the percentage of lower life expectancy for the twins? Uh, now that I don't have memorized you know, because the, all it of could these be like, carry, it's it not like 15% like across the board. And, and of those 4%, it could be that the 4% live next to a nuclear power plant that had three-headed fish in it and were it, eating those fish. It could <laughs> absolutely be that Mr. Burns let out the three-headed fish. It absolutely could be. But, you know, just on an off chance, because it correlates with so much other research showing the negatives of head trauma, maybe it just says banging your head's not a good idea. Yeah, but there's, there's the mean, argument of correlation doesn't equal causation, does it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Correlation is not causation. within those stats? And uh, I think correlation is not causation you're absolutely right but on the other hand if you fall from an airplane and you splat your guts everywhere yeah. correlation in that case eh, i think we can all, i think we can all agree that you know getting a bang getting a bang to the head in any way shape or form isn't great like nobody it, nobody wants it nobody needs it <laughs> nobody is out there looking for it um and i get and i get trying to mitigate the risk and i get trying to you know, to get people to understand. And you know what? I'm I'm all for for awareness. I'm all for publicizing awareness of potential issues. I'm all right with that. I'm all right with that. What what I would rather see is awareness with balance with balance that says millions of people play rugby and quite a large percentage of them, probably north of 90, have no ill effects whatsoever. But there is a chance that you may come to some harm by playing yeah, rugby. I agree. Russ, to me, it's the hysteria that goes with these. Yeah, statistics. exactly. And, there's, and, there's that, no, and I think that's the point. There's, there's no balance. It's like rugby is, you know, this, it's that. If you play rugby, you're probably going to have a sponge for a brain by the time you're 20. It's like that. There, there, there's no, there's no reason or, or like any sense of, um, and, and like anything, yeah, I've, I'm sorry. I've, I know I've what you mean. I know what you mean. But like yeah, anything, you only see the, yeah, you only see the worst cases. You only see the worst cases. Well, no, we don't. So let me hit you up with two things there. First of all, from my perspective, it's fascinating to hear you say that, Doug. And I don't mean this in a belittling way whatsoever. But I remember when all I heard was how foolish I was for suggesting stuff that Anne McKee's research was ridiculous and, you know, to hear Doug, who's a football fan, say, I mean, a rugby fan, say, all you ever hear is about the brain trauma. Uh, you know, that just shows me how far we've come in the 15 years I've been doing this. So 
it's an interesting uh, concept there. But it isn't just this, uh, oh, well, you know, it was 3% chance of a problem or so forth. In the study of football players that Willie Stewart conducted, so these are retired football players, it wasn't a small amount. He looked at uh, 1,184 former players, 1,180, and he compared that to 3,807 control. So you've got uh, men from the general population compared to 1,180 professional football players. And yeah, this finds significantly higher percents uh, of dementia. And he founds up to, uh, uh, four, I forgot the exact stat, was 450% increase in dementia for X number of years play, that kind of thing. We do this stuff in dose response. No one, nobody's saying that playing one season of football is just as bad as playing 10. That's not, that's not what we're arguing. But by the time they've played professional football, obviously they've been playing all their lives, you're 450% increase in dementia, all sorts of other motor neuron diseases as well. So these aren't small numbers. They're not insignificant numbers. Are, when you say these... millions of people have played rugby and they're perfectly fine, maybe... But if hundreds of thousands aren't, shouldn't we know about that? Yeah, What's the... absolutely. What... But, but so I'd be very careful first. Firstly, comparing statistics with head injuries in rugby to head injuries in American football. Now, I've I've played. No, no, this was football. Football. This was your football. Okay, so Soccer. I was going to say, like with 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 um, American football, I was coached to tackle as I would in rugby. And then went to play American football and was coached to tackle in a completely different way, which when I was tackling, I said to the coach, that's completely like that's I was told to put my head on the football, regardless of where the ball carrier is carrying it. And in some cases, that means putting your head across the body of the player that you're tackling, which you'd never do in rugby because you don't want your head underneath a player when you're going down. Also in American football, that like they were playing on basically concrete for the 60s and 70s on those AstroTurf fields. So that was another mid, a, a factor behind why I think a lot of those players certainly had, you know, your you sort of junior sale kind of players that, um, you know, okay. suffered very yeah. badly with CTE. I think their conditions and the technology with the helmets and all that kind of stuff was, you know, way behind. But I don't think you get that kind of thing in rugby. I don't think that's the same they're apples and oranges, really. But you just said football. I just assumed you're talking American. Accent. Yes, we're looking at soccer here. Yeah, okay. But um, f- for me, I don't know where I'm going now. Sorry. <laughs> I, I was going to ask a really simple question. I was going to ask a really simple question to um, rescue everybody. Because uh, w- when you said there's like a 450% increase in the risk was it in the risk or the incidence of incidents yeah in the incidents yeah do, do you know what that's a 450 percent increase on uh it's on the baseline population so yeah so so what would be the sort of risk on a sort of control person would it be like a, a, you know a risk of an incidence yeah it's a good question because you're asking me what is the risk of dementia for the population full stop yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. we'd say that you're 450 times more likely than the bloke standing next to you in the street to get yeah. dementia if you play football. Yeah, yeah. So what would that the bloke in the street who's never played any on you know you know never played any sport? What would be his risk in sort of percentage chance? Yeah, I don't know. Good question. 
Yeah. And of course, it's not going to be, you know, dementia, you know, dementia is going to be one of those diseases that, you know, we all know it hits. We all know people who've got it. Yeah. So it's not going to be nil, but it's also not going to be uh, like heart disease either, is it? Yeah. Like, I'm not saying like if it is sort of 450 times, yeah. you know, 450% of even like 0.2%, that's still not good. But, you know, it, yeah. it would it'd be good context, you know, for people to know. Um yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, of course, I could find that, but not in the not in the time yeah. I've got left. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. What what I would say, because I, I'm conscious we are going to run out of time, is that my son, um, I took my son to my rugby club. Uh, he didn't like it, so I never took him again. But um, even knowing the risks, if my son wanted to play rugby, I would not stand in his way in in any way, shape, or form. Because I believe at 10 years old, you do know what you want a little bit. <laughs> if you want to well, play let, rugby, let me ask you a, let me ask you a question there. You're, you're saying that I understand there's a risk to my son's health, but because my son wants to do it, I'll permit that. Because I think that the, the risks are mitigated by the good that being involved in sport and being... The, the the healthy the the health benefits that come with it i think outweigh the potential risks okay that's your own calculation though right that's not yeah, you're not I actually don't, getting no, over but i'm yeah. i'm i'm prepared to like i i don't want to wrap my child up in cotton wool to the point where they don't understand risk yeah that's fine what i was asking is are you saying that a child should be able to take the chances that a child wants to take, regardless of what the parent says? Because what you've said is your calculations are that the risk is outweighed by the potential health benefits. So that's actually you're, you're saying, I'll let my child do it because you've made the determination that the risk isn't great enough. Um, I'm making the calculation based on the fact that if he's going to do it, he's going to be with people who are qualified to put him in a position where the risk is mitigated and my, yeah, effectively I am making a judgment that I believe rugby is safe and I'm willing because I think that if my son or daughter for that matter, if she wanted to play, I, I would have absolutely no issues with that. Um, that the benefits based on my own judgments are that it, it would be fine for them to do that. Yeah. And if they wanted to do so, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in that camp. Um, before if, we... if my son decided that he wanted to uh, play Russian roulette for a, for a pastime, I'd probably say, do you know what? I was maybe not. And that's the thing, Doug is the, as the weights of evidence come out, Parents are increasingly saying, no, it looks more like Russian roulette than it does like poker. But, but this is my fine. point, because there's no counter studies that say, but, actually, these are the tangible benefits of letting your child play rugby. And that's because there's no unique benefits compared to other forms of physical activity that don't have brain trauma yeah. involved, that don't structure it in. And, all, and I, I get you can get hit by a car walking down the street. I get that. But parents the are reason there's decision. no studies that show that rugby has something special to offer isn't it quite possible that actually rugby doesn't have anything special to offer over tag rugby or football or whatever hockey um, or running? I, I, for that, for that, 
for that to happen, there has to be a significant shift in um, in structure and potentially even a, a whole new designation created to to encompass um, tag rugby at older age groups. And I know that there there is more things for tag rugby and touch rugby, and more clubs offer it at an old, all the older time, age yeah. groups, and there, it is growing. Um, it has to, but but I don't think you know. I think I think that it doesn't that's have the case to. and. There's room for well, no, it does, Doug, because the numbers are dying at such a rapid rate. In the last six years, the percentage of adults who played rugby has dropped from 0.6 to 0.4 percent of the population. Well, in the last six years. But that, that's a different argument because I think that there's a there's a societal change that's happened. People, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, we, agree. Well, we no, agree. no, no, no. But I think we we agree, but on slightly different slightly different reasons. 17 and 18 year old kids now work on Saturdays because. They want to buy a car. They, and they, they like drive, they like money. Like they don't have the same mm. amount of free time that when in the fifties and sixties you were born in a village, like my parents. You were born in a village. You lived in a village. You worked in a village, and then you died in the village. My grandparents still live in the same village. You it, play rugby like, and you go to the social club. Exactly, you... you play exactly. And I don't think and and there was more of a pub culture which has died. You know the, the the pub teams that came up, the social clubs. That's, I think, a bigger reason for sports clubs dying on their ass, because just living life is expensive. Kids need money, and so they're working in Tesco's on a Saturday morning, not playing rugby. I, I see it all the time. You see lads come up through the Colts, and then they find girls and drinking, and they want to go and earn money. And if, if it's a choice between having a bit of cash and playing rugby on a Saturday, there's only one option for a lot of these yeah. guys. And, and, and there isn't, there isn't well, the it's same. Not, it, it's not an, it's not an insignificant factor that all of this media attention on the brain trauma, as you stated, is also a variable at play. I'm not denying the social realities. I'm not saying that at all. I, I do believe that is a variable in play, but when you click on the BBC rugby webpage and five of the top stories, are sensational articles about how head traumas are killing people and that Steve Thompson's going to sue the RFU. That is, for my part, in my view, propaganda <laughs> because it's an agenda that certain people in the media have or certain, you know. We fought so hard to get them to take this seriously. I, I kind of object to you calling it an agenda. It's research findings. And it's making a difference now. Okay. Okay. You, sorry. You, sorry. It, be, it, be, it, it may become an ideological belief, but the reality is, is the ideological belief that rugby is causing trauma to people's to people's brains is growing. Whether you think it's true or not, it's not the point. The RFU better do something about it because they're going. They're already having tough financial times. If they really want people to play rugby, they better do something about this. Oh, the the, the, RFU, the RFU need to do lots of things about lots of things. And I think whilst the, the brain, you know, the brain injury stuff is, is important. I think the, the work and the statistics and stuff that has been uh, the research that has been carried out whilst it, whilst it is excellent and extremely credible. I think Doug's sensationalized message is more to do with, with the headlines than the actual research itself it's you know there, there's a handful there's a handful of former premiership uh, former international players that played in an era where 
they were allowed to just repeatedly have these um, brain traumas and go back out on the pitch, have these what brain over traumas. And above. But they were just, oh, we... they were allowed to carry on. Now, the, the the game of rugby has fundamentally changed, even in the last five years, in the identification of all of of all of that. And yet, yet we're still trying to change it even more without knowing the impact of, you know, we're turning so many cogs at the moment. No one's ever going to know which cog it was that actually had the improvement because all of, I think, all of these things. I, I think the key, the, the key thing, Russ, right, we, we played a rugby match. So our podcast organised a match last year down in Newquay. People came from all over and played and, uh, and whatnot. And Russ actually, <laughs> Russ actually <laughs> got concussed. Now, in Russ. the, early days, in the <laughs> early days of playing rugby, you would have just carried on, wouldn't you? But all 15 lads on that pitch told you to get off. In fact, Ben took one look at him and said, get off the field now. Now, over and above what Premiership Rugby are doing and, and the RFU are doing in terms of recognition, Hawkeye being there to identify concussions, all this stuff, what else can they do? Well, let me ask you this. Why do children not have that same privilege? They do. No, there, does, there isn't an independent concussion monitor at children's games. The, the coaches are the monitors. No, and no, but they're not independent, me, are they? Believe me, there's not a, a there is not a junior coach in this country, nay, the world, that will see a, one of their players get an injury and say, "Do you know what? We really need to win this game. Stay out there, little Timmy." They're not doing it because the games aren't even scored for the for a large part. It's like blue team wins by eight. It's like they don't the even question, win. That's not the question I've asked. Is why do professional rugby players deserve to have an independent, trained medical professional monitor their matches, but children don't get that? They've got to rely on some because you know, money some doesn't coach grow some, out of hang on, money hang on, doesn't Doug, grow on rugby posts. Doug, you're going to like this one. They've got to rely on some coach who lays BT wires on the weekend. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Have you been looking at my profile? <laughs> Also, I'm in management now. I don't lay wires. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, you know, if Hawkeye could employ someone to sit at every rugby match, I'm sure they would. They love money, but money <laughs> doesn't grow on rugby posts. And and you can't, you can only, coaches are, are, are trained in this stuff. Russ, I reckon you've probably done some yeah. RFU training around it. Yeah, you they're, have they're to. They're doing too. what they can. Now, where does it end? What What is the end game? The end game for you is that there's no tackling until 18 when essentially you're saying to 30 fully grown adults, yeah, you find a tackle now, lads, go nuts. Yeah, that's right. the end game for me, absolutely. So how does but that I'm translate? I'm not saying the go nuts part. I'm saying you're free to tackle. What happens after that is up to those individuals and the sport. I'm not saying go nuts. I'm not, I just don't see how the, the two... I don't see how the hand goes in the glove with that, personally. Well, I mean, it's very simple. It's just like smoking or anything else. We we prohibit children from doing things until a certain age, and then they're allowed to do it. They can take out a credit card at 18, and they can go nuts. But, but you can play international rugby at 18. Yeah, I get that. So I think I think with that, we've, again, you know, that that just comes down to look, you know, you love the sport, and you know, you said to me in the tweet, 
that, you know, your aim is to protect the sport. And I, my aim is to protect the brain. And the sport can bend around the brain. For you, the sport can't bend anymore. And so there's a fundamental difference there. But if you're a casual observer, if you're a parent who's, you know, not invested in rugby and their kid says they want to play rugby, you do need to ask yourself, whose argument's going to win out? And if it's mine, then, you know, how, how does rugby have a future? And my argument is, if rugby wants to have a future, it needs to go tag. Or it'll be irrelevant. Okay. I Just think, like we um, don't have boxing yeah. in schools anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot, like I said, I think there's a lot um, lot wrong with rugby. And, and, you know, this is one of one of a, a big, pro- big number of problems that is that is having issues with participation. Um, I think we've we've probably gone full circle, Eric, to where we started. Um, That's a good place to do I, it. Then isn't I it? want that was to, fun, boys. I appreciate that. I want to thank you for coming on and, and talk to us. Uh, I think uh, you know. I tend to think it's important when when you have a disagree with some with someone or a difference of opinion, especially on Twitter, which seems to lack any sort of nuance or or ability yeah. for people to. You know, it just turns into usually a slanger match or name calling or whatever it is. And and we've if if that's the case, I'm always keen to talk to people and have have that conversation because you can still have a difference of opinion. You can still, you know, you can still put across an argument in in a decent way when you're actually talking to someone. And it actually makes for for pretty good listening sometimes when when people when people are going to listen to it so appreciate you coming on ben you want to add something in well i was just going to say that i 100 percent agree what i thought had happened is you'd started an argument and weren't available to podcast and you were leaving it to a couple of other people to uh, to, <laughs> to finish things off which, which a lot of forwards that you've played rugby with would probably um that, that's recognize, true. wouldn't they so, that's true that's true yeah. So, so again, Eric, thank you for coming on. Thank yeah, you for offering for yourself, yeah, thank offering you. yourself up there because, again, it, it's it's a pretty you know brave and you know thing to do to come on with three people that you've never spoken to, who and, definitely um, have the opposite opinion. Ab- absolutely, yeah, no, no, <laughs> absolutely, we do, you know, and happily have the 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 opposite opinion of, and but are willing to have that conversation. So, thank you. It's really much appreciated, and uh, best of luck for the future. Absolute pleasure. Guys, can I say two things before I leave? Yeah, of course. Uh, one, I will get emails. If you're one of the listeners who's so irate and you want to write to me and tell me how crazy or full of shit I am or something, like, do yourself the favor and just go scream it to a void because I'm going to see the first sentence and I'm not going to read the rest of the email. Uh, I I, so I, I, I don't we think don't have many listeners. I don't, think you'll have, I don't think you have a problem with that. No, I'll, we don't have that many <laughs> listeners. And actually, oh, I think I think what I think what will happen. And number two is, sorry, mate, is what is our listeners a very? We've got a very niche set of listeners who are very much like us, but they will absolutely respect the fact that we've had this discussion, and that is the most important thing. Superb! I really appreciate that. And number two is, uh, mark your calendars. Have me back in a year. Let's see what updates there are. And you know, sort of pick up the discussion there. I'd be, I'd be more than more than happy yeah. to more if you to happy, get you yeah. back on. Um, it's been great to talk to you, Eric, and uh, we'll we'll catch up soon, definitely. Pleasure, guys. Take care. Take Cheers. care. Cheers. Bye now. Bye. Uh, well, I can't stop recording.
Social Podcast Network. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.